From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. I have learned to have cough drops, have hot water, have cold water. I'm trying to preserve this voice because by the third service of last time I taught, my voice just disappeared. And perhaps like you, I had these dreams that maybe when my voice sort of, maybe when I lost my voice, it would turn into like this kind of husky, like my wife might say, a little sexy kind of voice, maybe a little Morgan Freeman kind of voice. I was hoping for that. Mine goes kind of prepubescent. Um, And so it it sort of goes a little higher, um, a little more sort of squeechy, a little more like a televangelist kind of thing. And so, um, so I'm desperately trying to preserve this. So if I'm excited about something, but I'm trying to save my voice, I'll just do like a hand motion or something. I'll be like, this is a really big point um, to try and save this thing. So this morning, I want to explore with you the story of Joseph. And in Genesis, where we read about the story of this man, Joseph, a lot of airtime is given to this story. In fact, more words are written in the book of Genesis about Joseph than about a whole bunch of other characters, whether it's Abraham or Noah or others. And I think that's because uh, the writer of Genesis understands the importance of this story in the entire unfolding story of God and his people. But what we're going to do in the story of Joseph, I can hear my son, uh, my middle son. He's in the room listening for the first time. He got stung by two wasps here and here. So uh, he's recovering from that so I can hear his encouragement going on, uh, which is great. Um, But when we think about the story of Joseph, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to actually work our way backwards in the story. So we're not going to begin like we normally would from the beginning of Joseph's life and run it through to the end. We're going to begin at the end and work our way backwards. And the reason I want to do that is because I think what it highlights for us is the surprising way that a story unfolds. And the lesson for us is this, is that with God, a good ending does not require a good beginning. And so, so many of us can get caught in our circumstances of how our stories begin or how today began or where we're at right now. And the story of Joseph would teach us that a good ending does not require a good beginning and that we would experience that in our own lives, that when grace unfolds, when joy arrives, it always comes in surprising ways. And so when we read about the story of Joseph as we work our way backwards, that means that we're going to have a lot of spoiler alerts, right? So if you're somebody who doesn't want to know the ending, this is not the message for you. You can listen to the podcast in reverse or something like that. But this story, we're going to show that the way it ends, we never would have predicted that by the way it begins. And so we begin then at the end in Genesis 49, Jacob is blessing his 12 sons of whom Joseph is one of them. And this is what Jacob on his deathbed has to say about his son, Joseph. I think we have the text on the screen also. It says this, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine, listen to this, near a well whose branches climb up over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. 
His strong arm stayed nimble because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below. So when we read about this man, Joseph, first of all, if you're a parent, think about the power of these words spoken over a son. That a father would see these things in his own son to the extent that he chose to say, I'm going to speak these things and give you a blessing on my way out. Jacob was soon to die. And so just a, a, a moment for us to think about, about the power of the words that we speak. But at the end of the story, if we've never met Joseph, what we've learned about him through his father's eyes is that Joseph was a man who through his life remained steady. Joseph is a man, and think about this picture because it will impact the beginning of the story. Joseph is a man who is like a deep well whose blessings come up over the walls of the well, over the walls of this deep pit they branch out like this. So Joseph is a man who has been attacked. He's had hostility come at him. Uh, he's had attackers come at him with bitterness. And yet we read about Joseph as a man who understands connectedness to blessings from the skies above and blessings from the deep springs below. And so as we read about this man, it might make sense as we read about the end of the story to say, I can predict the steps that got him to that place. Because a lot of the time in our world, in our society, in our minds, we assume a kind of up and to the right trajectory where things begin well and end well. And yet the reality is if you and I look at that ending, is that the kind of ending that you would desire, that you would desire to be said about you? That you are a man or a woman who understands that when bitterness and hostility comes at you, you are able to remain steady if you stay connected to the blessings from the skies above and blessings from the deep springs below. I don't know about you, but I would exchange a lot. I would exchange everything to have my father say those words about me the way Jacob said them about Joseph. And so as we begin at the end then, if we go just one scene back and realize that none of this was an inevitable ending. One scene back, we meet Joseph. And he's, at this time in his life, he's the governor of Egypt. He's the second most powerful man on the planet. And in front of him are 70 relatives, including himself. He's got his father, all his brothers, all their children, and including his own kids, the 70 people. Now, if we think about the critic, how important those 70 people are, be clear that if these 70 people die, there is no such thing as the people of Israel. That's all there was at this moment to carry on the promises of God that he had given to Abraham all those years earlier. And so Joseph finds himself as the governor of Egypt with 70 or 69, uh, 70 including himself, people in front of him, and they are dying of starvation because they've come from the land of Canaan where there's a famine going on. They have no food. Everywhere is desolated. The entire globe is desolated, including Egypt. But because of Joseph's wisdom and insight, Egypt is a place where there is food stored up. 
And so these relatives come to him and say, Joseph, we need food, we need a place to stay. And because of his position, because of who he was in the world at that point, he goes to the Pharaoh and he says, could you give my people just some land? And Pharaoh responds and says, your people, your family, because of who you are, they can have the very best of the land. And so these 70 people move into the most prosperous, most vibrant place on the planet at the time because of Joseph's relationship with Pharaoh. And again, if we take a snapshot at this critical moment in the story, you might assume, wow, I, th- what a family. I mean, like this family must have been so close and so tight that they all show up and Joseph is advocating for them. He's making sure they are taken care of. He has this relationship with Pharaoh and it's all been his plan to make sure his family is protected. And yet the reality is, is that was not the family that Joseph had. That was the family that Joseph chose to have because he chose to treat them in a way that they had never treated him. And so the lesson for us is that as individuals, A good ending does not require a good beginning. And the lesson for us as families is that a good ending does not require a good beginning. So I don't know what your family relationships are like. I don't know if you were in Joseph's position, if you would have fought and advocated so hard for your family to find the best of the land, or if you might have lived out of bitterness and said, no, you know what? It's time for me to prove to this family that I'm actually worth something and that they're not. And so Joseph could have continued the story of his family up to this point, but he changed the story. And so wherever you are at in your family relationships, with your parents, with your kids, with your family, whatever that looks like, the lesson from the story of Joseph is that a good ending in that story does not require a good beginning. And so then as we go back, just one more scene from that. Uh, Joseph's 11 brothers are before him, unaware of who he is. So to capture the scenes for a moment, at the end of his life, Joseph is a man who is being blessed by his father, Jacob. A scene back from that, Joseph is the governor of Egypt, ensuring that his family is blessed above all others and is given the very best of the land of Egypt. A scene before that, Joseph's 11 brothers are before him. And the reality is that in this scene, these 11 brothers, or at least 10 of them, Benjamin wasn't involved in this, but 11 of them, the last time they had seen Joseph was when they saw his back walking towards Egypt because they had sold him into slavery. They had taken this brother of theirs and put a monetary value on his head and said, we would be better off without him in our life. And so again, the the story ending whereby Joseph bringing great blessing to his family is not inevitable. In fact, it was surprising because of all that he he had experienced at the hands of these brothers of his. And so these 11 brothers come to Joseph and they are dying of starvation and he is their only hope in the world. And here is what he says to them. We have the, um, the verses on the screen, Genesis 45. 
Just a pause for a second. Think for a moment about how you would have responded and reacted in this moment. This is like the culmination of a Hollywood movie where the man who has been, uh, who has been completely um, abandoned by the people closest to him, he finally has his day of reckoning. And the reality is, is the way that this story ends is not how a Hollywood movie ends. Because this ends with a man humbling himself rather than a man doing what you and I might have done, which is, which is finally said, here is my moment of justice. Here is my moment to treat them the way they treated me to give them what they've had coming to them this entire time. But Joseph instead responds and he says, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said, to, he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you, and he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt." Let me ask you first, have you ever heard a wise man or a wise woman tell you that the secret to a successful, fulfilling life was to hold on to bitterness? You ever heard anyone say, you know, the best decision I ever made was to stay mad at that family who betrayed me. The best decision I ever made was to stay bitter and angry at those who had left me. Because the reality is wise men and wise women understand that bitterness doesn't destroy the target of the bitterness, it destroys the holder of the bitterness. That think of bitterness if you've fired a gun with a kickback, bitterness has the biggest kickback of any gun you'll ever fire. That it may well hit the target that bitterness is aimed at, it may well destroy that life too. But one thing you can guarantee is that if you live out of bitterness, it will throw you down first. And so Joseph makes a choice that he says, I want my life, I want my legacy to be about something other than what I've been given. And if Joseph doesn't make this choice in this moment, guess what Jacob is unable to say about him at his death? See, Jacob is not able at the end of the story to speak, to speak about a man whose blessings come out of the walls of a well. Jacob is not able to speak about a man who has withstood bitterness and withstood attack. Instead, it is likely that Jacob's blessing about his son would be about a man who had held on to bitterness. And you and I could have read this story together in church and still said, you know what? Joseph was absolutely right to do that. These earpieces never work for me, sorry. I've told you before I have strange shaped ears and every time it's a reminder for me of how these foot. Um, what Joseph understands, what Joseph realizes is this, is that the choices he makes in this moment are gonna have a ripple effect for many, many generations. 
Because the promise that Joseph was holding on to was a promise that God had made to Abraham, where he said, through you, all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And as Joseph's family is before him in this scene, what Joseph is holding on to and deciding is that if all of the world is going to be blessed through us, then first of all, all of the world has to be blessed through me. And that if you and I are going to live a life that is worth talking about, if you and I are going to live a life that is worth remembering, that is worth having a legacy about, we have to make the decision today that if the world is going to be blessed through us, the world has to first be blessed through me. And Joseph had every right to send his family away empty-handed. His responsibility was to the people of Egypt, not to these people. These people had sold him into slavery. And you know what my question would have been? It would have been, hey guys, you need food? Where's that money you sold me for? You still have any of that? My reaction from if I was Joseph would have been to tell them all that I had suffered and experienced as a slave and a prisoner in Egypt. And yet Joseph responds by saying that if the world is going to be blessed through us, it has to first be blessed through me. And the lesson in the story of Joseph is that if a person is ever to become a people, it has to begin with a man or a woman surrendering themselves to something bigger than themselves. That a person, singular, is ever to become a people plural. It begins with the surrender of that individual to something bigger than themselves. And so Joseph in this scene decides that his life is not going to be about him. It is going to be about them. That the blessing of God is not going to stop with him. It is just going to be multiplied through him. And so again, if we only began the story at this scene, we might assume that here was a family, they just had a misunderstanding or something like that. And here is Joseph just trying to manipulate his family, trying to get one over them. But that isn't the way that this story began. That this ending was never inevitable. And many of us are in situations right now where we are journaling or writing about or praying about what we might believe to be an inevitable ending to the story that we're in. And yet the story of Joseph would tell us that the ending is never inevitable. That our destiny is not determined by our circumstances, but rather it's determined by the choices that we make. And so Joseph chose to live a life of blessing and multiplication to others. So in the last few minutes, we jump back to the previous scene. The scene back from that is where Joseph is pulled out of a dungeon. He's in Egypt. He'd been thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. Yes, this guy just got, man, a lot of, he got screwed over a bunch, right? If we'd have experienced one of the chapters in Joseph's life, we would have written a book about it and gone on a book tour, right? I was wrongly imprisoned. I was thrown into a pit. I was sold into slavery. I was wrongly imprisoned. Then I was made governor of Egypt. Then I became responsible for the survival of all of humanity, right? One of those things would have been like enough. Okay, but Joseph steps into all these things. But the scene before that, he's pulled out of a dungeon. His hair is messy. He hasn't eaten well. And he's pulled in front of the Pharaoh because the Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph chooses to interpret that dream. 
And because of his, his interpretation, he interprets the fact that there is a famine coming, they need to store up food. And if Joseph never makes that interpretation, then he's never in the next scene before his brothers. And if he's never in that scene, he's never in the scene before his entire family. And if he's never in those scenes, then the people of Israel in that moment die out. And so Joseph comes before the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh says, Joseph, I want you to interpret my dream. Now, the last dream that we know Joseph has interpreted had been for a prisoner. And the prisoner had said, if you will interpret my dream, I will get you out of this dungeon. I will set you free. And as soon as he interprets the dream of the prisoner, the prisoner forgets. He moves on with his life and Joseph spends years more in prison. And so you know what I'm doing if I'm Joseph? I'm coming out before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I want you to interpret my dream. And if I'm Joseph, I say, I'm going to need a guarantee on this one. I'm going to need a little contract here that if I, if I share the interpretation of this dream, then I'm going to be a free man. But Joseph stewards his gift well. And Joseph decides in this moment that his responsibility is not to the receiver of the gift, Pharaoh. Joseph's responsibility is to the giver of the gift, God. And Joseph decides to make his life about giving away the gifts that he's been given, irrespective of who is receiving it and what they will do for him. And here's the reality of Joseph's life and why the ending is surprising. Because Joseph never would have been invited to interpret the dreams of the Pharaoh if he had not first committed to interpret the dreams of the prisoner. See, most of us want to spend our lives and dedicate our lives to interpreting the dreams of the Pharaoh, the powerful people, the famous people. We say, you know what, if I'm ever in that position, I will give my gifts away. I will serve those people. But Joseph's life is a reality that he didn't get to serve the Pharaoh until he first served the prisoner. And so whatever season of life you're in, maybe you look around you and you're like, you're dying. Your heart is crying out and saying, I want to be famous. I want to serve Pharaohs. I want to serve rulers. I want to serve people of importance. I want to serve people of impact and influence. And yet the invitation of the story of Joseph is to say that you will never be invited into places of impact until you first will serve in prisons and places like this. Places where your giving of your gift is forgotten. Places where the sacrifice of your heart is ignored. We have just a couple more minutes. The last scene is this. The last scene is this, is the last time we meet. Um, I've missed some of the scriptures that we were supposed to share. Uh, is there anything relevant? Yeah, there is. Um, yes, Genesis 37. Always helpful to have a Bible verse or two in these things. Um, Genesis 37. This is the, the first scene where we begin the whole story. So Genesis 37, it says this. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the pit or well. Now the pit or the well was empty. There was no water in it. Here is a man who at the end of his life, his father says, you have been such a blessing to the world that you are like a fruitful vine in the bottom of the well whose branches grow out over the walls of the well. And here he is at the beginning of the story, thrown into an empty pit with no water, with no hope of escape. 
Now, following this, of course, he'd be, thrown, he'd be sold into slavery because the brothers realized they could make money that way. But here he is in this moment, in effect, lying in his own grave, just waiting to die. And the story of Joseph, I believe, changes in this moment. Because prior to this moment, he was not, I don't think, holding his giftedness in the most humble of ways. He was holding his giftedness and bringing at times pride, at times arrogance over his brothers. And it's almost as if in this scene, in this inflection point, that a death and a resurrection occurs within the heart of Joseph. That he goes down into the pit, which he would assume at that moment is going to be the place of his death. And when he is pulled out of that pit, he chooses to make his life about the people around him, not about himself. Joseph makes a commitment to say that me, a person, is only going to become a people if I will first surrender myself to something bigger than myself. And so in the story of Joseph, I realize there's way more material than I needed for this time, but that's all right. Um, The story of Joseph, we meet him as we move our way backwards. We meet him in three different arenas. We meet him before the Pharaoh. We meet him in the prison, and we meet him first in the pit. And the choices he made in the pit and the choices he made in the prison put him into a place where he could impact all of humanity by the stewardship of the gifts that God had given him. And so the lesson for us this morning is that whatever your beginning looks like today, whatever circumstances you're in today, If your heart is crying out for a good ending, it doesn't require a good beginning. But what it does require is a man or a woman, i.e. you, to surrender yourself to something bigger than yourself. Because the gifts that have been put within you and within me were never intended to be for my benefit. They were intended to be for the benefit of all of those around me. Even if, like in the story of Joseph, They're undeserving of those gifts. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we see ourselves in this story. We see ourselves as the brothers before Joseph, undeserving of giftedness and grace at times. We also see ourselves at times as Joseph in the pit, rejected and abandoned and alone. We might see ourselves this morning as Joseph in the prison, looking around us, wondering how on earth we can make an impact. And for all of these places, wherever each of us is at this morning, whatever scene we find ourselves in, God, we would commit as a people to say that we don't want to be a group of individuals, but we want to be a collective people who impacts the world around us, and that we together would commit to surrender ourselves to a story that is bigger than ourselves. So, Father, we thank you for this time, for this invitation, and this story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.